So good evening. It's uh, wonderful to be here. It's wonderful to be uh, finally in a position where I no longer have to be concerned about my secular work and can look forward to just focusing upon Western Avenue Baptist Church and our ministry together here, our growth here together as we uh, seek to grow um, into the greater image of Christ. Uh, If you were here this morning, you know that um, I spent a lot of time preaching really on what the Word of God says about the Word of God. And, uh, and, and hopefully it came clear, at least it came across clear why I did that. Um, because my ministry, my, my teaching and preaching ministry here, um, if, I, if I fulfill what I believe I'm convicted to do, then it will be known as a, as a ministry that teaches the Word of God. Um, and I want for all of us to be growing in the Word of God and to be relying upon the Word of God and, and to be constantly filtering our thoughts and our actions to make sure that you know, we are being informed by the will, will of God and not being informed by foreign ideas that can easily slip into the culture, that can easily slip into our thinking. And, and one of the examples I provided was psychology. Um, psychology, it's amazing how deep into our thinking psychology has gotten without us even realizing it. You know, this, um, and, and it really has led to this current generation now being kind of a very entitlement-oriented generation you know, very me-centric, um, self-oriented generation that's where the purpose of life is all driven around what, what makes me feel good, what makes me happy, you know, what, what gives me joy and, and whatnot. And so I, I think we're headed in a direction as a country that really is not good. And, uh, and even being here in Brawley, I, you know, I've had a chance to have um, lunch today with Rick and Pat. And, and, and Rick, I think you were mentioning that we're kind of in a transition period here, right, in Imperial County, where we're kind of transitioning from a farming community to being a little bit more, what was the word, cosmopolitan or metropolitan? I think that was Tom speaking. Oh, that was Tom speaking. Yeah, Tom said that. Yeah. But, you know, and as, as that happens, um, unfortunately, what also happens is that these more, quote unquote, sophisticated ideas start to get introduced into society that's coming from that. That's already run rampant in cities like San Francisco and, and L.A. and San Diego. You know, they're going to start to seep into the culture here. And so what I really want is for Western Avenue Baptist Church to be kind of a beacon of truth, um, to be full of people that understand the word, um, seek to minister the word. And, uh, and will stand firm upon the truth. In fact, I don't know if you saw this this past week, but um, there was a, a, I guess there was a bill um, approved um, by California legislature that now pastors are going to be um, forced um, to affirm LGBTQ um, in their preaching. Right. And so I, I say this um, somewhat jokingly, but not completely jokingly, that I might not be your pastor for all that long. Um, because when we get to those passages, um, I'm not going to shy away from what the Word of God says. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach and teach what the Word of God says. And, and you guys, I want you guys to stand firm on that as well. Because at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're going to pass from this life and we're going to stand before the Lord. You know, and, and, and really the question is going to be, what have we done as stewards of our time and our energy here in this world? Did, did we capitulate to, to the world, you know, or did we stand firm upon the truth no matter what the circumstances are around us? So, I mean, I, I see that there's a rise in, in, in kind of vitriol and, and persecution for those who hold to um, biblical teaching. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's going to be very critical for Western Avenue that we are built um, upon the Word of God, that we're constantly challenging each other. And really tonight, I, I don't have a formal sermon prepared. I just wanted to just kind of share some of my thoughts with you about um, what I'm thinking over the next few months, uh, several months maybe, and, uh, and also 
do any Q&A. By the way, if you have any questions anytime, just raise your hand and, you know, this, this can be a very interactive um, kind of discussion. But I just wanted to kind of speak to you from my heart uh, with regards to where my heart is and, and what my concerns are and, and what I would really um, love to be able to see from Western Avenue Baptist Church. Um, a couple of technicalities. Um, one, with regards to the order of service, um, the order of service that we've been following, I, I think, is a solid order of service. I'm talking about on Sunday mornings when we come and worship. There's a couple of things that um, I, I have kind of um, tweaked or introduced, uh, if you've noticed, um, before the um, you know before the announcements in the morning. I do a reading of scripture. Um, that's actually in Paul's letter to Timothy um, to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Um, so if you're wondering why I'm doing that, I, I'm, I'm just being faithful to what I believe the Bible is telling me to do as, um, as a pastor and teacher. So every morning we'll have a, a brief um, reading from the Word of God uh, before we go into prayer. Um, one of the things that I haven't done that I, I think a lot of you may be used to and a lot of churches really in this area are used to is, is altar calls. Um, I have not done altar calls, and that actually has been very intentional. Um, and l let me give you just um, a little bit of history. Yeah, Clark. Well, what, what did you say? What? Altar calls. So altar calls, what are altar calls? Altar calls are really at the end of a sermon, you know, you, you say, okay, if anyone's willing at this point in time to accept Jesus Christ in your life, please come forward. And so, you know, you have a song playing in the background. It's usually a few minutes where you just wait for people to come forward and, and um, you have them pray a prayer. Everyone does it a little bit differently, but you kind of have them pray a prayer and, and, um, and, and then you kind of send them home and say, okay, you're, you're now saved. Um, and there are, there are variations um, to that. Uh, but there, there's a few concerns um, that I have about altar calls. Um, historically, do, do any of you know when altar calls started? Because you won't find altar calls in the Bible. You know, you won't find it anywhere in Scripture. You know, what you'll find is Peter saying, repent and be baptized, you know, for, for the repentance of sins, right? And, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you'll see commands to repent and be baptized. And you'll see people responding to that. Um, but there's no formal altar calls. That's actually something that was introduced um, in, in American history. And, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but, you know, going back to when America was first founded, you know, obviously we had the Puritans coming over. Um, we were, um, you know, we were a nation that if we weren't necessarily Christian, we actually at least had very strong Judeo-Christian values. Right. And certainly we had a, a large Christian presence with regards to our universities. You know, like, for instance, Harvard started off as a Christian university, then they went astray. And then it was Yale that became the Christian university, and then they went astray. And then you have people like Jonathan Edwards, um, who is the, considered the last great Puritan and one of the greatest theologians in our nation's history. He went to help found Princeton University. And then Princeton went, went astray. If you go to Princeton now, Princeton affirms LGBTQ, uh, female ministers, LGBTQ ministers. I mean, they're just all over the place, and, and they're, they're very... Um, um, they're very hostile towards conservative Christian, really biblical Christian um, values, though they want to call themselves Christian. So we, we have this history of, of, you know, these institutions kind of going astray. But what I'm getting at is that we started off as um, having a strong Christian presence. You know, we had a strong um, foundation of people that really believed the Bible and, and, and taught the Bible. And, and what happened um, right around the Yale-Princeton time period, and that would have been, um, I, I want to say... Um, 17, 1800s, uh, we had the Great Awakening, right? So we had the Great Awakening, and, and what was happening was that mass numbers of people were, were being saved, um, were, were, coming to, um, were coming to faith. Um, revivals were, were kind of breaking out, and, and really revivals at that time, and, and one of these days I'm going to do a church history lesson, and we'll kind of step through this. But revivals um, are not man-created. 
Okay, revivals are not man-created. Revivals are by the will of God. So by, by the faithful preaching and teaching and, and through faithful prayer, you know, God by his will might bring about a revival where you've got a number of people who are falling down on the ground and, and just begging for forgiveness for sins, wanting to be saved. And, um, and that's what was happening during the first great awakening. Um, well, there was another period of time called the second great awakening. And there was a man by the name of um, Charles Finney. Um, Charles Finney um, would basically stage revivals. Um, he was the first person that would stage these revivals, and he'd have a bunch of people get into a tent um, together, and, and he would preach at them hour after hour after hour, and, and, and really from the stories that are heard, that he would basically coerce people into accepting Christ. You know, he wouldn't even let them leave unless they made a profession of Christ. And then he would go away and say, look, you know, we had 2,000 people, you know, come to the Lord um, in Christ. So, so we basically had these forced kind of revivals rather than, you know, the will of God, letting the word of God moving into the hearts of the people and having them confess. Well, it was Charles Finney that brought the altar call. Um, he, he's the one that invented the altar call. And, and, and really what has happened is that, um, you know, when altar calls are made, and, and I realize different pastors can do this differently, but I remember when I first met Alice, she was at a church in Bakersfield. Um, I sat with her, visited her church, and it wasn't a heretical church, at, at least um, at that time. There was no major red flags. There are now, but there was no major red flags at that time. But I, I remember the, the pastor did an altar call, and, and a number of people came forward. And the pastor looked at them and, and said, um, you know, say this prayer and, and whatnot. And then he said, um, he said something like, congratulations, you are all going home with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, um, and, and in my heart, I just groaned. Now, can you guys guess why I groaned in my heart? that he just told them that they are all going home with the gift of the Holy Spirit. They didn't say it. They didn't say it. Well, they, they said a prayer, and, and they thought they, they did. But let, let me ask you this. If someone professes to know Christ, does that mean necessarily that they have saving faith, that they really are saved? No. 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 So, I mean, as a pastor, you know, you could have a bunch of people come forth and, and verbally say, I, I accept Christ. But you know what, really, I, I don't know for sure that someone has really accepted Christ. You know, and, and I've seen people within the church who would seem to exhibit the fruits and then they walk away um, from, from the faith. And unfortunately, as, um, as the pastor of that church, I mean, I was groaning because I, I was thinking to myself, you know what? That pastor just gave false assurance to a bunch of people that had come forward and probably a bunch of other people that have come forward in all the other services. And if these people never come back to church ever again, if they turn away and they live the same lifestyle that they lived before and they don't care about anything else about the Bible or scripture or wanting to know God or anything else, they might always remember, yeah, that pastor said, I went home with the Holy Spirit and I'm saved. And so what it is, it's, um, it, it's false assurance. And so that's, that's my biggest concern with uh, regards to altar calls. That's why you may have noticed the last few services, what I've done is I've kind of called on the deacons um, to stand up, and I'll, I'll tell the people if there's anyone here who um, feels the need to respond to this call to repentance, come talk to one of them, talk to one of us. That way we can sit one-on-one, -on -one, we can get to know them and find out, okay, what is it that um, you're desiring to do, why, and, you know, and then, then we can actually have a more personal conversation you know, about um, what it means to be Christian, um, how they go about making that confession, and, and really what's the next steps. Um, because the other, um, one of the other tragedies of altar calls, and, and this, this has been partially also um, characteristic, I think, of, of kind of the Billy Graham crusades, and the, I don't know if you guys know Greg Laurie is, he has these harvest crusades where he has a massive number of people coming together, and, um, and, and they do this major altar call at the very end, Right. And, and they have them, you know, confess their sins and, and say a prayer and, um, and 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 go home and think that they're saved. But there's no follow up. I mean, you know, this morning when I talked about the Great Commission, you know, when we think about the Great Commission. Jesus Christ, 
he doesn't say go and and uh, and, and evangelize um, all the nations. What does he say? He says go and what? Make disciples, right? And so make disciples, sure, it starts off with evangelism. I mean, that's the whole point of baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the idea of make disciples is that discipling is a much more involved process. It's a long-term process. It's, it's okay, now that you've confessed, why don't you come to my church? Let's meet together. Let's, let's, let's attend service together. Let's talk about what's going on in your life, you know, how the Lord is using you, you know, what, what you're feeling that, that, that the Lord is, is, is moving you towards in terms of ministry and service and, and you know, your, your struggles and all those kinds of things. It's, it's having that kind of accountability um, in, in your life. And so that, that's really what I'm trying to encourage is that for people that are looking to um, really respond to that call to repentance, you know, I, I want to know that either myself or one of the deacons knows who those individuals are and, um, and can actually sit down and speak to them more personally. And then we can follow up with them. You know, we can follow up with them. We can, we can ask them, hey, how are you doing? How are things going? Um, you know, are you growing? Are, are, what, what are you seeing in your life? You know, because obviously when people come to Christ, you know, we want to be able to see that there's, there, there's a change in their heart. And if there's a change in their heart, there, there's a change in how they desire to live their life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that, that, was, um, that was my testimony back in 2007 when, <clears throat> when I, I just saw that um, uh, my priorities were just flipped upside down, or you can say really right side up, right? I mean, I, you know, just my priorities and, and the way I, I thought about uh, my life and, and how I wanted to be um, known and, and remembered uh, really started becoming more God-oriented and less man-oriented. Um, and, and those are the kinds of things that happens when people come to faith. Um, so that, that's the reason why you're not um, seeing altar calls. I, I realize I've been watching some of the messages um, from other churches, and I realize that they, they do it, so we're kind of going to be a little bit different there. Um, and I'm not saying that if church does altar calls that it's sinful because, you know, certainly there's a way that they can do it that, that might be a little bit more responsible, but I prefer to be a little bit more personal with that. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. And um, if, you've, uh, if you notice on the front of the bulletin, you've seen our new motto on the front of the bulletin, and you've seen it on the, the, the website. I mean, it used to be the place to call home, um, which is great. I mean, this, this is a very homey feeling place. And I think that's one of the, um, that, that's one of the strengths of Western Avenue Baptist Church. I think when people come here and then we definitely saw it during the VBS this past week. I mean, they're, you know, and by the way, I just, I just have to say, Debbie does an amazing job with VBS. I just have to say that. I just, I didn't want to take that moment. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm watching her and I'm thinking, wow, this woman is such a gift to the church. Um, you married way up, right? I just got to tell you, you were married way, way up, <laughs> way up, way up. <laughs> By the way, um, you know, next Sunday, mom, my mentor, Bill Shannon, is going to be here. He's going to be preaching. And he tells me all the time, Eki, you married way up, way up. You know, so he, he reminds me of that all the time. So I'm passing that down. Um, but yeah, you know, VBS was such an encouragement because we, you know, there were, what, close to 80 volunteers or something like that? I mean, I mean, that, that, that's amazing. That's amazing. And, and I know we didn't get the turnout of kids that we had like last year. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I tell you, if, if we are always together like that, if that's our consistent testimony when, when it comes to, to ministry, I mean, people are going to come and they're going to know that, you know, th- this is family. You know, so I do like that motto, but I ch- kind of changed the motto to growing together in Christ. Um, growing together in Christ. And if you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, and I, I kind of went over this this morning. Um, in this morning's message, but it's, it's worth looking at it again.
you know, Ephesians chapter 4, and, and um, we're going to do um, an in-depth study of the book of Ephesians um, following next week after my mentor comes here and preach, preaches, and then on the 14th of July, we're going to start um, doing a study of Ephesians um, verse by verse through the entire book in the mornings. And my plan for the evenings is actually to kind of go over our statement of faith um, as a church. You know, let's review that statement of faith. Um, what does it say? What does it mean that we believe? Why do we believe it? So it's going to be a little bit of um, almost kind of like a, a mini systematic theology um, kind of for us in the evenings to, to help um, understand what it is that, that we believe and why we believe it. Um, but Ephesians, uh, uh, the book of Ephesians is six chapters long. The first three chapters is theological. It's, it's a lot of theology, but it's very, it's not dry theology. It's a very enthusiastic theology. It's, it's Paul just bursting with praise over God's plan of redemption. But when you get to chapter four, chapter four is where the application really starts. That's why you see, you see there in verse one, Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling um, with which you have been called. Now, that, that's a very important statement because the first three chapters went to really describe in detail what that calling was. You have been called, and here are the details of how you've been called. That's the first three chapters. It, it talks about how God has chosen you before the foundation of the world, how you've been predestined to be adopted as sons into the family of God. You know, how, how God has removed the barrier between us and, and Israel as the people of God and, and, and all these wonderful theological uh, truths and, and how we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, saved us. And, uh, and so there, there's a lot of wonderful theology that comes there. But as we get into chapter four, verse one, the, the call is this, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Um, there are a lot of people that think that being Christian is merely just a profession. We just talked about that. Obviously, you understand that it's not merely profession. You know, and, and this is proof right here because Paul says, look, if this is what you confess, if this is what you believe, then it actually should show in how you walk. It should show in how you live out your lives. And so walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. But what's interesting is when you think about, okay, how do we walk in a manner that's worthy? Well, what is it that we have to do? And, and Consistently, when you read through the epistles, the first thing that is almost always emphasized by Paul is unity within the body of Christ. And it's no different here. I mean, look at this. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. It's an emphasis upon unity. You guys need to be united. You guys need to be one. I mean, the, the, the real proof that you guys are in Christ, the real proof that we have been saved is that we are operating together really as one body within the church. You know, we're edifying each other. We're loving each other. We're encouraging one another. And that's what, what, what Paul means by preserving this, this, this unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And, and look at verse 4. You know, when, when we think about all of us, we all come from different backgrounds. We have different upbringings. You know, Alice came from China. My parents came from Thailand. You know, a bunch of people come from different areas. We have different parents, different kinds of upbringings and all that. But, but we all have this in common. If we've been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, we have this in common. Starting in verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And what that's emphasizing to us is that even though we may have differences, I mean, you still see within the body of Christ, there's a lot of different personalities. 
you still see a lot of different skills, a lot of different gifts, a lot of different strengths and weaknesses from person to person. But we have the greatest commonality that anyone can have. And that's the commonality that we have in Christ. You know, we, we have the Spirit. We have the same God. We have the same Lord Jesus Christ who saved us. And that commonality trumps all other differences. So, so that's a unity that, that needs to bring us together as a body, as, as a family. And then verse 7, Paul starts to talk about the, the various gifts that, that are given to people. He said, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then verse 8, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. That's a reference to one of the Psalms. And basically what he's saying is that Jesus Christ, you know, as he descended and then ascended, he, he provided gifts to the church. He provided gifts to the church. In verse 9, now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he had descended into the lower parts of the earth? That's just, that's just referring to the fact that he came down to the earth and then he went back up. And he really was the only person to do that, right? Um, verse 10, he, he who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And then verse 11, and I went through this this morning, these are the gifts that Jesus Christ gave to the church. He, he gave some as apostles and some as prophets. Well, the apostles and prophets, we understand that the apostles were those who were directly with Jesus Christ. You know, started off with those 12 disciples minus Judas. Um, then I think we had, uh, what was it, Matthias? Uh, Matthias that was added in as one of the disciples, and then Paul was added, right? So, so we, had, we, we had these uh, apostles, and then after that, there was no apostles. Um, and then following, following the uh, apostles, we have prophets. Now, um, who are, what, what are prophets? Prophets are essentially messengers from God. Um, apostles were also prophets, but these were very special prophets that had special authority. But um, prophets were also uh, messengers from God. They might bring the word of God. And at that time, we have to realize that, you know, as believers were being saved following the ascension of Jesus Christ, they did not have the New Testament. You know, a lot of the New Testament was not written until, you know, at least 10, 15 years after Jesus Christ um, had ascended up into heaven. So a lot of them did not have the New Testament. They didn't have this new revelation. And so you had prophets um, that, would, that would help bring that revelation from God to the people. You see that when you read through the letter of 1 Corinthians. Um, but, you know, I believe that the office of apostles and prophet is no more. You know, when you look at church history and you look at the, um, the testimony of church history, um, going back to the earliest church fathers, they, they all uh, more or less see the same, that the office of apostles and prophets really died out with that first generation. And there's good reason for that, because those apostles and prophets were meant to lay the foundation of the church. And once you have the foundation of the church, you don't need to keep relaying the foundation of the church over and over again. You know, so from there, after that, the gifts that Jesus Christ gave in verse 11... Some as evangelists, and we understand that. These would be like modern-day missionaries, right? Um, it could be street evangelists. It could be people that go door-to-door. -door, but these were people that were like Paul and would go out and, and spread the word of God to places where um, it had not been heard. And, and finally, you have some as pastors and teachers. Um, and and this is, these are the roles that we would also be very familiar with today. I mean, obviously, I'm filling the role of pastor, and we have various teachers, um, you know, Sunday mornings during the adult schools, we have people who teach um, children's church. We've, you know, Terry Norris is here in the middle of the week and, uh, and whatnot. So we, we have all these roles going on here at the church, but it comes with a very specific purpose. Um, verse 12, and you'll see that unity is still the theme going on through here. When you get to verse 12, it's for the equipping of the saints for the work 
of service. I mean, that's what's, th think about this. Jesus Christ, he descended, he ascended, he provided gifts to the church, and the gifts of the ch that he provided to the church were in order to equip the saints for work of service. You know, we don't always think in terms of the church being the goal of our salvation. We don't always think in terms of I'm saved, and now what God has called me to do is to edify the church. You know, we live in a very individualistic culture. I mean, I talked about that. You know, this is, you know, psychology has played a role in this and, and kind of our entitlement culture has played a role in this. And people think about just pursuing their dreams and wanting to be a singer and wanting to travel the world and wanting to be wealthy and all that. And I'm not saying that those things are necessarily sinful in and of, of themselves, but they certainly can be if you turn them into idols. Um, but what we see here in this passage is that these gifts were given to the church in order to prepare each and every one of us for the work of service to the body. It's service to the body. Um, and so the equipping of the saints for the work of service and, and, and here to the building up of the body of Christ. You know, so the body of Christ, what is that? That's, that's us, that's, that's the church. You know, and, and we have this bond with Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ being our head with us being the body. And, and we are in union with Christ and, and how we operate within the body is a reflection of, of Jesus Christ and, and his work for us. I mean, right here in Ephesians, you guys know this. Uh, you, you, you've seen this many times. Look at chapter 5. Chapter 5, verses um, 22 all the way to 33. These are the verses for husbands and wives, right? And you know, you know these verses. If you've ever been to any kind of marriage conference, um, if you've ever been to any premarital seminar or anything like that, you, you've gone through these, these verses to help prepare you for marriage and what the responsibilities are. And in verse 22, you have wives be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. And then verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might present himself to the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to, ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, these are very important verses for husbands and wives. I mean, these lay out to us really this model of what we call complementarianism. What do I mean by complementarianism? It means that husbands and wives were equal in value, but not equal in role. We don't have the same roles. We have different roles that are ordained to us by God, but it doesn't mean that we have different value before God. We are joint heirs. That's what P Peter says. You know, we are joint heirs before God, but we are given very specific roles. And, and this is under tremendous attack right now, by the way, because there, there's a big push within the Southern Baptist Convention for, for female preachers to, to start being allowed to, to preach more to a mixed group of men and women. You know, and they're, they're starting to make arguments, unbiblical arguments, um, I believe, as to why that should be uh, allowed. But that, that's a, a big battle that's going on in uh, the SBC. Um, but, but these passages, they lay out for us, and also not just, you know, from the wife's perspective, from the husband's perspective, we, we as husbands have a tremendous responsibility when it comes to leadership. 
right? I mean, the fact that we're leaders doesn't mean that we're better. It doesn't mean that we have more value. It doesn't mean that we have more privilege. In fact, in many ways, we have much more responsibility, you know, because it, it, what a lot of husbands miss out on is, you know, you get a lot of husbands who can be kind of dictatorial um, to their wife, can say, you need to submit, you need to obey, you need to do this, you need to do that. So they're basically forcing this kind of submission. And I see some husbands looking at their wives, but, you know, you see, um, you see husbands um, doing this. And, and in counseling, what I'm telling them is like, can you show me in the Bible where it says that you're supposed to force your wife to submit? And my point being is that the, the wife's submission to the husband, that's between her and the Lord. You know what it tells us as husbands? It tells us as husbands to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Love our wives just as, as we love our own bodies. You, you know, so I mean, it's very much the opposite. And you, you go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, what does he say? Live with your wives in an understanding way. And so oftentimes I get, I get these couples coming in and their marriage are in shambles. And, and it always comes down to the husband and wife subverting each other's roles, you know, going beyond what, uh, what the Lord has called them to do. But anyway, I got into this because I wanted to make this point. Husbands and wives, these are foundational verses when it comes to marriage, the, the roles of husbands and wives. But, but look at this in verse 32. Verse 32, what, what a lot of times we miss is that the picture of husband and wife is supposed to be symbolic. The picture of husband and wife is supposed to be symbolic of something greater. Well, what is that something greater? This mystery is great, verse 32, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So the marriage covenant between husband and wife is meant as a beautiful symbol of Christ and the church. You know, and so that means that really our role within the church, it's not, um, it's not trivial. You know, it's not unimportant. It's not secondary. It's not, oh, you know what, I'll just go to church whenever I want to. You know, there's a lot of people that, um, unfortunately, a lot of believers, a lot of people that claim to be Christians who have no interest in attending church or they're kind of frivolous about when they attend or they treat it as secondary or, hey, you know, there's a there's a great football game on this Sunday, so we'll just skip this Sunday. You know, I've got, um, there's this couple at my workplace where um, they've been missing church Sunday after Sunday. And when I talk to them and find out why, it's because their, their daughter has, um, has soccer games on Sunday. And, you know, I, I understand, you know, these reasons, but, you know, we, we send the wrong message when we say that our attendance and our participation and, and the opportunity to be fed and, and to grow together in the church, we, we make a mistake when we say that that's secondary to these other pursuits. When we say that's secondary to um, these other things going on in our lives. So, you know, we, we really want to prioritize church, not simply as just a place we show up to on Sundays, hear the message and go home. Um, but we want to prioritize church as really being an extension of community, uh, of unity, you know, to demonstrate our love for one another, to demonstrate our union with our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we have a bond with our Lord Jesus Christ, and, and we want to be able to show that, that it is solid, that, that we love the Lord, we are committed to the Lord, just as the Lord is committed to us, and that we're, we're not only committed to the Lord, but we're submitting to the Lord. We're, we're growing in the Lord. We're being blessed by the Lord. You know, and, and that is never more evident than in a body that loves one another and, and grows according to the Scriptures. So I actually wasn't planning to, to preach on this, but I ended up doing it anyway. Um, <laughs> 
When I go through Ephesians verse by verse, we're going to get to that passage and we're going to do that all again. Um, I'll do it in more detail um, when I've actually done more study of the, those, those verses. Um, but going back to chapter 4, um, again, verse 11, And he being Christ gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So we're, we're working on building one another up. We're working on edifying one another. And then verse 13, we do it until this has happened. Okay, this is what we're striving for. This is the goal. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, that's, there's a lot of phrases in there, but the key words here that we're looking to attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. I think this is talking about our growth in Christ. This is talking about us becoming more and more mature in the faith, growing together not only individually in terms of our individual walks, but also growing together as a body growing together in terms of our service to one another, our love for one another, our reflecting of, of Christ and, and his, his love for us and his commands for us. Um, and then verse 14, this is the amazing result. And this too often gets overlooked by um, too many churches. As a result, we are no longer to be children so once again, we, we're made mature in verse 13. So if we're made mature in verse 13, that means in verse 14, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. There is a lot of satanic work that's happening um, within the church. Um, there, there are a lot of churches that are preaching false gospels. There's a lot of people that are introducing um, very dangerous beliefs into the body of Christ, which, which ends up dividing. All right? Now, I say that we need to be united, but we need to be united in truth. Right. I, I'd, um, I remember um, Dr. Steve Lawson, he's a great preacher, but he um, was one of my professors uh, of preaching. And I remember asking him the question, okay, well, okay, we're, we're to be united. That, that's obviously emphasized in the scriptures, but, but are we to be united with people that we, we think are introducing destructive ideas into the body of Christ? And his response, um, and he was quoting, I think, Adrian Rogers. Um, he said, I would rather be divided by truth than united in error. And so we, we want to be united, but, you know, we want to be united um, really upon truth. Um, but but there's, there's something else that's important here. We'll see it in just a moment. Um, so as a result, verse 14, we're no longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But verse 15, when there are differences, this is what we do. We speak the truth in what? In love. You know, and I think this is the flip side of this. I think this is one of the reasons sometimes why there's divisions when there doesn't need to be divisions. You know, we have doctrinal differences and, and we, we can start to turn them into angry debates and, you know, it can start insulting one another um, because we have differences and whatnot. And we need to be speaking the truth to each other rather um, in love. You know, where I came from, Grace Community Church, um, John MacArthur has been the pastor there for 50 years now. I mean, that's an amazing period of time. Um, but he was very, very close friends with um, a man by the name of R.C. Sproul. 
R.C. Sproul was um, in Florida. They um, they go back decades, um, but they have some differences in kind of their eschatology. And by eschatology, I mean their their view of the end times. Right? They they had some differences in their view of baptism. You know, whether infant baptism should be something that's practiced within the church or not. So they had some of these differences, and, and yet the, these two were just dear, dear friends who loved one another. Because really, even though they had these differences, um, they both proclaimed the same gospel. You know, they both worshiped the same God, the same Lord Jesus Christ. You know, so sometimes there, there is a, a sense in which we speak the truth to each other with one another in love and, and also a sense in which we understand that there are secondary issues that, um, you know, using our own discernment, we, 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 we shouldn't divide over. Right. So that that's something that comes with maturity and, and with understanding and really with um, the examples that we have of good and godly men um, in, in the church. Um, so, yeah, we, we see this speaking the truth and love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is head, even Christ. And then verse 16. And once again, this is emphasizing the unity and how we're all to be a part of this from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. All right. So having read that, you know, and going back to kind of that motto, um, growing together in Christ, I think you can start to see the connection as to why I, I wanted our model to be growing together in Christ. So the idea of growing is that we're being sanctified. You know, we're, we're not just seeking to be stagnant Christians who are just coming and, and we're, we're fine with the status quo. Church becomes kind of a social club where we just gather together, we enjoy ourselves, and, and, uh, and we go home and we're no different than we were, you know, the prior day or the prior year or, you know, whatnot. We're, we're growing. So we're growing, but we're not just growing individually, but we're growing together. You know, and we're not just growing together, but we're growing together specifically um, in Christ, recognizing that we are the body and Christ is our head. So growing together in Christ means that that we are in union with Christ and Christ, really the church belongs to Jesus Christ. And, and we seek to obey Christ. We seek to glorify Christ um, in our lives. And, and, and what's implied in all that, but, but not explicitly stated, is that the way we obey Christ is by our obedience to what the scriptures tell us. You know, and that, once again, it circles back to why I preached this morning on, on the importance of, of the Word of God and, and how, you know, for all of us, I, I want us all to, to really be devoting ourselves to it. You know, when I, when I preach, I think you've noticed, obviously, that um, I, I may go through a little bit more verses than the average preacher, right? I mean, I, I cover a lot of um, ground in terms of verses. And, and I do that for a reason, though. I, I do that because I want you to see that what I'm preaching is not merely my own idea. You know, I want you to be able to see with your own eyes from the scriptures, oh, that's where he's getting it. You know, I don't ever want you to hear me say something and, and then you think, wow, there's no way I could understand that. I'm glad he said it. You know, I, I want you to be able to look at the scripture and say, you know what? I never saw that before, but now that you're pointing it out, it's clear. I get it. I get it. You know, so that's the reason why I provide so many scriptures. I, I want you to be able to understand that, to be able to write that down. In fact, and I realize everyone kind of learns in different ways, um, but I would encourage you um, to consider bringing a notepad with you to, to, um, to, to the messages, to, to sermons, and, and write these things out and, and think upon them um, through the week. You know, examine them and, and see if you understand them. W would you be able to share them with someone else? You know, because ultimately, you know, what I, what I would love for you guys to be able to do is to, to be able to devote, and I know some of you are already doing this already, but to be able to devote more and more attention towards discipling someone else who might be newer to the faith. 
you know, discipling someone else who may not know as much and be able to show them, like, for instance, Ephesians 4 and say, hey, let me explain to you what Ephesians 4 is all about. Ephesians 4 is about the building up of the body. And, and this is why, this is why, brother, you need to be spending more time with, with the body. You know, this is why you can't treat church as just kind of a uh, of secondary importance, you know, and then and to be able to just walk them through what, what's going on here. You know, so that, that's why I go into such detail to try to explain these things is so that you, you can understand it and not only understand it, but then be able to turn around and explain it to someone else. Um, any, any questions or comments so far? Is this, is this ringing true? Yeah. Uh, I know that you use the uh, uh, NASB yeah. as, as the translation. Could you comment on that? Because uh, I think most of us are accustomed to using the New King James. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's a reason for that. Um, right. I believe Awana uses the New King James yeah. as um, the basis for their memory work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and New King James, it's, it's a good translation um, for certain. Um, I think why I prefer the um, NASB or even the ESV is this. If you have a brand new believer who's never been exposed to the Bible, um, the New King James can be difficult. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it, it has this kind of, I mean, it's majestic in its language. I mean, there's this kind of old English feel to it, but a lot of people aren't used to reading old English. If you know the scriptures, if you understand what it is you're reading, then you can read the New King James and it's great. Um, but I, I think for people that um, are new to the scriptures um, and they're trying to read through and trying to understand, I think the New King James um, really with it kind of sticking as much as possible to kind of the 1600s English um, it, it can be, um, it can end up being more confusing to, to newer believers. Well, the old King James is even worse. Oh, yeah, 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 it is, it is, it is. Yeah, yeah, and, and I would say that, um, <clears throat> you, you know, and when it comes to English translations, um, you know, for the most part, you know, except for the translations that the cults use, I mean, you know, the Mormons and Jehovah's, Jehovah's Witnesses especially, they, they have a version of the scriptures where they, they literally distort, you know, certain words and, and, and it's, it's really bad. But for the most part, I mean, you know, you can get the gospel from any English translation. Now, what I would say is that um, the New King James, the NASB, the ESV, um, even the Holman Christian Standard Bible, um, those are four translations that um, I think are a little bit more literal rather than interpretive. And what I mean by literal is that, you know, you can get like a concordance, like a Strong's concordance. And, and, and you can, each English word will, will kind of map to a different uh, word in the original language. And then you can use that reference, look it up in the original language and do kind of a word study. You know, you can't do that, for instance, with the NIV. The, the, and the reason why is because the NIV is, is more interpretive. So they're, they're interpreting what's there and kind of rewording it. It's easy to read, but, but you're, you're held a little bit more hostage to the interpreters and what they believe is, um, is being stated there. So I do prefer um, a more literal translation. Um, where I came from, Grace Community Church, we use the NASB. I've gotten used to really preaching from it. Um, I, I think it's um, that the English is um, easier to pick up than New King James. And, um, and, and it still has a kind of literalness that, that, that you can trace back to the original languages. ESV as well. I think ESV um, is, is even easier to read than NASB. And, and I thought about um, preaching in ESV, but I've gotten so used to NASB. And, and, and I really appreciate the way it, uh, it translates a lot of passages. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can, you can use, um, you can use the, the New King James. You can use ESV. You can use NASB, um, Holman Christian Standard. And if you use one of the more interpretive versions, um, you know, NIV and um, the New Language Translation, I, I mean, that, you know, that's okay as well. But I, I would recommend that, you know, if, if in the future you have an opportunity to get another Bible, 
to get one that's a little bit more literal and you can actually you know compare you know you, you can read it in the nlt or the niv and then compare what it says in the say new king james or the nasb um you know just just to just to see those uh, those differences yeah good question um any other comments questions yes on the altar call uh, i was expecting when the kids were done with the show uh, i was just curious at what point or and i don't know what you teachers did Want some kids to Christ. My thinking is during that time for people that have never had anything. Yeah. That were new. Who did, are they invited? How is that handled? And That's also, a good question. Yeah. Also, the times that you preach here that I've been in. Yeah. Not very many. Most of it's the old art. There aren't many new people here. Yeah. The word is not that. Yeah, yeah. And I've noticed that when people go up to the altar, there's a follow of three or four others because they're all scared to make that first initial step. Yeah. And yet they're ready. So how could a person set that up to where they don't feel intimidated? You don't necessarily have them coming up but they have a place to go or to meet to where they would feel safe. Yeah, yeah, that, I mean, that, that's a good question. So the, the question is for, um, well, there's two questions. One about VBS, which um, I'm going to defer to one of you two to talk about VBS and, and when children come to faith and how we handle that. Um, but in, in terms of um, where do people go, how do we make it um, comfortable for someone who's ready to accept Christ? You know, without, um, you know, if, I, if I'm bypassing the altar call, because I think what you're saying with the altar call, you know, one person comes up and then maybe emboldens other people to go ahead and come up um, as well. Well, what I've been doing at the end of uh, my messages, and I, I, I think you've seen this, is like I said, I've, I've had a couple of deacons um, stand up and I've invited people to come to me afterwards where, where it's not with all eyes on everyone. You know, people are kind of dispersing and, you know, people come up to me for various reasons. Some people want to ask me a question about something that I preached or give me a comment or, or whatnot. And, and other people may come up and, and uh, may want to talk about uh, more spiritual things. But I, I think the, and, and I hope, the personal setting afterwards where I'm inviting people to come up to me personally or to one of the deacons um, is, um, is going to be, um, I, there's less pressure in that than trying to come up before the entire congregation. Um, but I also believe that if someone in their heart is really looking to respond to the word of God, um, they're, they're, going to, they're going to do that. Yeah, they're, they're, they're going to do that. I, I remember this, this one story was um, amazing. We had, um, and John MacArthur told this story at Grace Community Church, but evidently there was um, this, uh, one, uh, this one young man who had been living this kind of homosexual lifestyle. And um, he was, um, he, you know, he had been diagnosed with AIDS. Um, he was very sick. He knew his life was coming to an end soon. And, you know, and, and he started to get desperate about, you know, he's looking at his life and he's feeling the weight of conviction of his sinfulness. You know, and and, um, and feeling depressed, and and it was strange because one of his um, friends, who is also homosexual, not a Christian, um, said to him, "You know what? You should go to Grace Community Church and seek out John MacArthur. He might have some answers for you." And um, and so he showed up to service on a Sunday, and um, John was preaching from I think Psalm one nineteen, and and you know, and and as he's listening to John preach, I mean, he he couldn't wait for the sermon to be over so that he can just run to John and and ask ask if if John can help him be saved. 
Um, and so, you know, when that burden comes into our heart that we want to respond to Christ, you know, I think at that point uh, we trust that the Lord is going to do that work and have them seek out, um, have them seek out one of us. And, and I hope here at Western Avenue Baptist Church, I mean, for people that come, if non-believers come, I, I hope that they at least know that this is a place where the word of God is being taught. You know, that there's going to be answers here, that the people here are mature and, and, um, and, and understand what it means to be Christian and to live for Christ. And so as they're looking to seek someone out and to talk to someone and, and to get those kinds of answers, you know, I, I think the environment and, and really the reputation that we establish at our church, I'm hoping well, ends up being what um, encourages them to, to come forward. But yeah, that personal setting is what I'm looking at. And, and something that I'm going to talk to the deacons a little bit more about. I mean, I've had... You know, I've had deacons stand up and kind of identify themselves. But, you know, what we did at um, the church I was at, and I think is a, is a good idea, is if we have like a devoted prayer room, you know, if we have a, a room on, on campus that's a devoted prayer room and, and we can show people where that prayer room is and say, hey, after the service, if you have any prayer needs, if you feel you want to talk to someone about your soul or about spiritual issues, you know, we're, we're going to always have, um, you know, a few people who are working there at least for the first 10 to 15 minutes after a service. You can just go in there, find one of them and sit down and they'll talk to you and they'll pray with you. They'll find out what's going on. And, and that's when we can really get a sense of, you know, hey, if they're an unbeliever, but they're really wanting to respond, that's a great opportunity. That's a great opportunity. So I, I would want to, but I got to talk it out with the deacons. Okay, what, what would be a good prayer room and, you know, and, and probably establish shifts where we have a, a couple of people that, you know, are, are assigned to that prayer room every single Sunday um, when we're there. Um, does that answer that question a little bit? Uh, yeah, and also I, I can see you might have a lot of pressure on you yeah, so yeah. The right, right. And at the same point in time, I, I yeah, well, if I'm not um, if I'm not available, um, and, and obviously you know people want to see the preacher, you know more than anyone else. But I, I believe if someone really wants to come to Christ, they're they're going to go to one of the assigned. Um, you know, the deacons are there. The deacons are deacons for a reason, right? The, these are these are trusted men of God within the church. We trust them as leaders. They're 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 people that can provide you with spiritual direction, and so we just have to um, trust that uh, that if the Lord is really stirring up their heart, they're going to seek out someone, and, and the deacons can always eventually bring them to me if that's if that's needed. Yep. Just a comment. Yeah. I, I would suggest that uh, perhaps there would be a few women included in the group yeah. stems because yeah, yeah. some women are hesitant to approach a man. Yeah, that's a good know. point. That that's that's an that I'm I'm glad you brought that up because um actually in our last church where we did have a prayer room, we, we did have a mix of both men and women. And um and so yeah, I think that's a good idea. Um, I think, um, you know, we maybe part of a selection committee would, would choose a, a group of trusted women. Not that would take away from their leadership. No, absolutely. No, I, I agree with you. I think that I think that's a great idea. And, and, and I think really long term, I mean, in terms of like counseling, you know, if women want to go for counseling, it's better for women to go to women and not women to go to men. You know, because there, there's, um, there's a lot of bad things that can happen um, if, if a woman is going to just a man for counseling and they're kind of meeting each other, you know, in that, uh, in that kind of scenario. And in fact, um, I haven't figured out how I'm going to work this out yet because my own personal um, policy has always been that I never meet with a woman alone. 
you know, so if, if a woman were to come in for counseling, like you know, doctor. yeah, I, I would, I, you know, if Cindy is on site, I may have asked Cindy, Cindy, would you come in and sit in with us um, so that you can, you can listen to what's going on? Or, if, you know, if my wife's around, I might ask my wife to be there. I, I'm not sure how we're going to do that yet because we don't have a whole lot of staff here during the day uh, when people come in uh, for, for counseling. Uh, but I, I have to think through that because, you know, that's um, that is something that I think is very important that we provide women counselors to women who are needing spiritual help and, you know, not introduce potential problems um, that, that could occur there. Yeah. Um, VBS, any, any comments about VBS and, and children who maybe are, are wanting to respond to the, the call to salvation? So, and, and yeah, a lot of times, in my opinion, VBS, I mean, obviously it's an outreach ministry where we're sowing seeds and we're hoping that those seeds will will produce some fruit. And, and really, as, um, as Christians, as we evangelize, as we share God, you know, that's all we're doing. We're throwing out seeds and we're trusting God to kind of produce the fruits and, and, and those who are going to respond to it. And, um, and, and the children's ministry is just that. I mean, there are so many people who didn't respond um, to the call of Christ until they were adults, but seeds were already being planted when they were children. You know, there's a lot of people that grew up in the church. They go out into the world. They decide to walk away from Christ. But then at some point, you know, the Lord brings humbling circumstances into their life. And suddenly everything that they were taught before comes into their mind and it just all clicks um, right away. So, I mean, I think one of the blessings of VBS is, is really um, laying out those seeds and, and just um, hoping that uh, God will use that for for future um, salvation. And sometimes, you know, you, you get kids too that, you know, maybe at a certain age they, they profess faith and then they realize that, you know, through rebellion and attitudes that, you know what, it wasn't a real profession. And then later they come to a real profession. We, we see that a lot at our at the church that we came from where a lot of kids up into their like high school or college years, they ended up getting baptized a second time because they realized that the first time it wasn't, um, it wasn't in true faith. You know, they, they came to, to realize um, you know, their, their true need. So yeah, it's a, it's a process. And for us, we want to just keep uh, sowing those seeds, but yeah, I mean, these steps that we're taking in terms of the prayer room and having people assigned to that. And, you know, and, and also I would say this too, is that, um, of course, sometimes people come to church on their own just because they're looking for answers. But, but a lot of times from my experience, a lot of people who are exposed to Christ and end up giving their life, um, they had been ministered to by someone else within the church. And, and it was, well, a lot of times it was someone inviting them to come with them to the church. 
Um, and so I, I've, I know, at least from the church that we came from, uh, when there was kind of an informal poll done, when the pastor asked, okay, how many of you guys um, were, you know, when you, were, when you came to faith, it was because someone else from this church had been working with you up to that time. And, and like 75% of the hands went up. You know, so a lot of times it's, it's very rare that someone's going to just show up out of the blue, hear me preach, and then suddenly respond uh, to the gospel. They might. I mean, that certainly could happen. But a lot of times what happens is that there's been, so, there, there's been seeds that have been sown um, by other people um, in their lives. And, and, and slowly but surely God is kind of using all these seeds to, get, to tip them closer and closer to that point where they finally come to faith. Um, but it's something that we'll, you know, we'll monitor that. We'll, we'll see how that, uh, that works out. But yeah, the, the altar call is just, um, I, I think there is a lot of pressure in front of the entire congregation. And, you know, and, um, and, and I think that there can be false assurance without the kind of personal follow-up um, with them. You know, so I, I want to be sure that if they're going to confess the Lord, you, you know, they, that they understand what that means. You know, that they understand what that means in terms of, you know, what Jesus Christ said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, bear his cross, and, and follow me. There, there is a price. Even though there, we contribute nothing to our salvation, there, there is a price to discipleship. There is a price to following Jesus Christ. And so I, I do want people to understand that, that, you know what, this doesn't mean that your life has suddenly become easier. You know, in fact, in many ways, it's going to become harder. You know, but um, but there is going to be a certain peace that's going to surpass all understanding that comes to those who persist and, and continue to grow in Christ. Um, I think I've been talking uh, for quite a while. Let me let me finish up with a few other notes. Did, any other questions? Does that make sense? Um, yeah, I'd go like ahead. I'd like to say something. Um, I liked what you did today with the, the outline. <coughs> God's word is absolutely perfect. God's word is fully sufficient. Mm-hmm. God's word authoritative. authoritative, right? Okay, but after that, then you, I got sort of lost a little bit. Okay. And I'll tell you because you're going so fast, and most people here are older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard yeah. to me. And I didn't have my earphones today. So. <laughs> well, I'm one of the older ones. Okay, I have three children, nine grandchildren, yeah. three, seven great grandkids, and five great great. So I'm raising quite a yeah, bit of yeah. them. And I'm trying to help all of them, even though yeah, yeah, them. yeah. But yeah. the thing is with this, Pastor, you talked about Joshua after Moses. Yeah. You talked about Paul through his churches. Yeah. Timothy, first and second. Yeah. It says applies to all Holy Spirit. Thessalonians. Then you went to Matthew. I wrote them all down there. Yeah, yeah. And he says uh, the Great Commission. Okay, then you said a little bit about Hebrew. And then you talked about Ephesians, building for the unity of faith. Yeah. I do believe in all that, but I think my for my own self, you're going to faster those things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if everybody else is the same no, as I, I am, but I'm. Well, let me say it. I I agree with you. <laughs> I need more time. Yeah, yeah. I. Um, this has been my tendency to go too fast, and uh, and a lot of it. I mean, some of it is. Um, time pressure because I don't want to keep you there forever. I mean, I could keep talking and talking and talking and talking. Um, and I've got so much that I want to be able to share. And, and uh, one of the things that they tell us in seminary is that, you know, break it up into more bite-sized chunks, you know? Give a little joke. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know about that. I'd... Well, that's the commentary I heard from my daughter and her husband. Yeah, yeah. And I don't care about it. I know the jokes are pretty good too. Yeah. But the thing is that, I mean, I got a little bit lost when you start giving so many uh, books of the Bible. Yeah, yeah. And I know them, and I know a lot of it, and I know that I still have to study them yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. 
But I wrote all these down just to ask you, wouldn't you be able to condense that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and I'll, I'll work on that. I'll, I'll work on that. And yeah, Michael. There is a video available for they can get so they can uh, go over that. Yeah, that, that is another point. So, I mean, the sermons are downloadable. Um, so you go to the website, you can download them. And, and, and so that, that's, um, okay, so that, that is kind of where I take comfort, knowing that, um, that we do have sermons that are uploaded, and you'll be able to download it, to listen to it again. And by the way, you got those three points. Those are really the main three points. I mean, after that, I, I really just kind of closed out the message. So, yeah. Yeah, so if you got those three, those were the only three. There was no, there was no secret number four um, that I was bringing in um, behind that. Yeah. That, yeah, that's a that's a good question. I'm, I'm, I know Cindy um, has been kind of doing that, and yeah. and um, I, I didn't tell her to stop doing that. So we can certainly continue doing that for people that want to use the CDs. Um, yes, you, I like to listen to them in my car. Well, and, and what we're going to do, and, and it's not available right now, but we're also going to make it so that you can download it. Um, so on the Internet, if you go onto the website, um, there's no link for down, downloading right now, but I'm going to talk to Peter Rebick about that. You know, I want to make it so that you can download it so you can do exactly that. You download it, you get into your car, and instead of having to have a CD that you're, cover, you're carrying with you, you just need your phone. It's downloaded to your phone now. You can just play it, you know, while, while you're in the car. Um, so, so you... you yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I, I actually, I like I, you know what I like what Brett just said. I mean, for for one, we can we, we can we can have some classes that that help you understand um, the tech, technology options, all right? Because it, it does make things easier once you know how to do it. But at the same time, I don't want to say that if you don't know how to do the technology, you're not going to have access to it. Um, so I mean, I, I would I would say for for those that are more comfortable just with having physical CDs, I mean, by all means, let's let's continue doing that. Um, as we go forward, I'm going to start writing up articles and publishing them to the website. And for people that aren't comfortable going to the website, we can print them out and make them available at the church. You know, so I mean, those are those are things that we can take a look at doing. So I want to, you know, one of these days, and I'll talk to the deacons about this. But one of these days soon, I, I want to kind of get a uh, maybe. Um, maybe just get some feedback from each of the members at least and and uh and faithful attendees that what your what your preferred method of communication is would you like to go to the website are you on facebook or would you rather get something printed you know how, how do you want to uh, receive that kind of communication and and yeah i'd like to hear about um you know in terms of listening to those sermons again do you prefer the cds or are you comfortable going out and listening online CDs I share. yeah That's true. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, and there's also, um, and I'm going to throw out a technical word. Don't get thrown off. There's, there's a word called podcasting. Okay, what's podcasting? Oh, no, that's yeah, all on TV. Yeah. So you, you go onto um, your smartphones. All, all, everyone who has a smartphone, you, you, have, you have a podcasting feature. What's that? We're all backwards. All right. But, well, let me. I'm going to computer. Bear with me. Bear with me for a moment. Bear with me for a moment. All right. Bear with me. Just stay with me. Hold on. Stay with me. Stay with me. I know I'm getting technical. I know this is like going way up there. Okay, bear with me for a moment. Okay. This is actually simpler, okay, because, okay, you know, you, you have programs, right? You can download apps and stuff like that. Podcast is just an app. That's all it is. It's an app, and then you say, okay, I want to subscribe to Western Avenue Baptist Church. And then from there, whenever there's a new sermon uploaded, it just puts it right into the app. You just open up the app, click it, and it plays. All right, that's not supported yet. Everybody got that? Yeah. 
It was. In other words, in other words, you click the app and the sermon's there. I mean, so if you know how to open an app, yeah, if you know how to open an app, you know how to, to, to get, yeah, yeah. So there, there's, there's going to be multiple options. We'll, we'll train you guys. We'll provide some instructions, all right, on, on how you can do that. But you know what? If you like the CD method um, for sharing or whatever it may be, that, that's, I think those are good options as well. All right, other, other questions or comments? Okay, let me just share a, a couple of last things, then we'll go ahead and close this up. Um, I am interested, and I'm not sure how this is going to look yet, but I am interested in, um, in some um, discipleship programs. And um, for me, I'm, I'm looking to start to maybe disciple a, a small group of men who might be willing to meet once a week, maybe early in the morning on a Saturday or, or something like that, to, to get together. And, and we're going to go through things like systematic theology and hermeneutics and whatnot. And, and there may be some classes that I'll make available for the church at large to, to come together. Some of, the ch- some of the classes I'm thinking of would be like um, hermeneutics. Uh, what are hermeneutics? Hermeneutics are essentially principles for Bible interpretation. Okay, this is how we interpret the Bible. These are the principles that we follow. Um, and, and it's really when, when you learn the principles of Bible interpretation, they really make a whole lot of sense. But until then, um, you know, we, we tend not to think in terms of these principles. Um, so I, I'd like to be able to teach something on hermeneutics. Um, systematic theology, what is systematic theology? Systematic theology is, is really studying what the Bible says in its entirety about certain topics. So anthropology is the study of man. What does the Bible tell us about man? Um, soteriology is the study of salvation. What, what do we learn about the history of salvation as revealed in, in Scripture? You know, homardiology, the study of sin, things like that. So their systematic theologies um, become very helpful because as you study passages, if you have a, um, a big picture view of um, these key doctrines, you, you start to, you're able to make better sense of, of the, the verses that you're reading and, and how this kind of fits. Um, into its context. Um, biblical counseling is something that I'm, I'm looking to do as well. Um, we'll have some Old Testament survey classes, some New Testament survey classes where, you know, maybe one, uh, one, week, uh, one, one week where each week we'll, we'll look at a different book of the Bible and uh, we'll, we'll kind of get a synopsis of what that book is about, how we would divide it up, what are some of the key verses, what are some of the key challenges uh, with that book. Uh, we'll do the same thing with the New Testament. Um, a prayer class, apologetics, um, evangelism, you know, so those are all things that, um, that I'm, I'm looking to do, but I want to, um, you know, get my arms around all the programs and, and, uh, classes that we're doing right now and make sure I'm not disrupting anything or kind of, you know, um, making something redundant, you know, so I, I want to make sure that uh, we have a cohesive uh, set of programs that, uh, that we're supporting as a church. Um, so th- those are just some of the ideas that I have going on. And on one sense, the fact that I'm starting on July 1st, in some sense, it's anticlimactic because so many people are on vacation, right? So there's so many people away, yeah? Uh, but in another sense, it's actually, um, it's actually good because it gives me a couple of months to, to really get my bearings and, and to get an inventory of what's going on before things start to pick up again. And, and that way, um, once things start to pick up, we'll, we'll have a little bit more of a program to find. Um, that we can go forward with. Um, I, I'm certainly open to suggestions, um, feedback, thoughts, ideas. You can always pull me aside, um, or you know, you can leave a message with uh, with Cindy, or you know, eventually, I'd, you know, there'll probably be an email address that's going to be available on the website that you can send me emails at and, and whatnot. So, so I definitely want communication. Love to hear from you, and uh, and certainly my office is open. You know, if you ever want to come in and talk. Um, if you're a woman, let me know ahead of time so I can have my wife there or bring your husband or, you know, let's make sure that it's more than just me and, and uh, one woman, right? So any, um, any other questions? Was this helpful?
Um, yeah, just just thinking about the future, and and I'm excited. I I really am. I'm excited about um, about where we can go, where we're going to head. Um, I I've, Alice and I have both felt um, your love and appreciation, and just felt really welcomed here. I mean, we feel the family atmosphere. I mean, it really shows. Um, certainly, VBS was just further affirmation of that, and um, and and you know, preaching and teaching. As if you can't tell already, it's my passion. And so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to just pouring that into you guys as much as, as humanly possible. So let's go ahead and close out with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time that we had to just fellowship and to, for, um, for me to, I guess, kind of share on my heart um, some of the thoughts that, that I've had with regards to this church. And we know this church does not belong to me. It belongs to your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that we would always be moved according to the wisdom of your word, that we would always hold ourselves accountable. We would be um, carefully considering all the decisions that are being made and the programs that we put forth and, and the way in which we seek to interact with um, the community around us. Uh, Father, I pray that you would bless the rest of this night, the time of fellowship that we will have together. Um, bless um, everyone here. Um, help them to return home safely. And we pray for a blessed week as we look forward to this 4th of July week coming up um, ahead of us. And, uh, Father, we just give you thanks um, for all of the rich blessings that you have poured out into our lives. We give you thanks for this rich opportunity that you've provided for us to come together, um, bringing me here and, and providing a pastor that they have been seeking. And, and we pray that you would bless this growth, you'd bless this relationship, um, help this to be one in which uh, we are all continuing to grow together in unity according to your truth, um, out of love for one another and out of obedience um, to you and to your word, um, always seeking to stir up in one another a greater love for you and your son, Jesus Christ, uh, through the um, power of your Holy Spirit. And Father, we give thanks and pray all these things in the name of your son and all of God's people said, amen. amen.